and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Condemning is proving or showing someone's guilt. It's one thing to be accused, but someone still must show up in court and prove guilt. Founding pastor Randy Pope continues the series Romans 8, Four Secrets to a Satisfying Life, with the fourth part of this sermon entitled Rest in God's Security, which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. I'm going to invite you now to continue with me in a series we're doing. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to be in verse 34 today. As you're doing that, let me uh, prepare us for the text by simply suggesting to you that uh, every one of us experience guilt on an ongoing basis. Uh, Usually the guilt is not too extreme, and God uses guilt as a means of grace to us to help us see our own sin and to deal with it appropriately. But but guilt can be very, very painful. Uh, We have it in different degrees. Uh, Imagine that uh, everyone can relate to this to some degree. Let's say you're coming around 285 and ready to turn north on 141, if that maybe you travel that pretty regularly. Maybe it's during rush time, and you see this long forever line, and you think, this is going to be, I'm going to be sitting here forever, and you know that if you just scooted off to the left and went on up right before the exit, somebody would be slow enough that you could come in and save you a lot of time. There's no thought about that. Let's just do it. Until you turn in And maybe you look in the rearview mirror and you see somebody shaking their fist at you and you think, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that because, uh, you know, I did steal their time to benefit my time and that's not right. And you feel a little guilty. The guilt, you know, ratchets up a little bit higher when you look in that rearview mirror and you see that that person behind you is your pastor. And I think you know who I'm talking about. No No particular people, but it's just a little bit worse. I take it to another degree. Maybe in the younger years of life, driving recklessly. And you not only damage somebody's property, but you maybe damage life as a result. And the guilt goes deep. And we could go on and on. I'll tell you this. You can be certain there is no guilt that will ever compare to the guilt of standing before a holy God and that God looking at us and saying, this is the sin of your life. Here are the motives behind many of the very good things otherwise you've done. Here is the condition of your heart. I don't think we can even fathom can't even fathom the guilt that will be experienced unless, there's the key word, unless you're a child of God and all of that goes away. We talked last week in verse 33, we talked about the question of, uh, well, who can bring a charge against God's people, His elect? Who can do that? The answer is nobody. We talked about this week, or we're talking about this week, not just a charge, but now we're talking about uh, who can condemn us. The answer is going to be nobody. 
Uh, we, we're not going to be charged. We're not going to be condemned at all if God's people. This particular message, though, is not referring us so much to a need just to keep talking about it and keep talking about it. No, no. This is a message that's designed to help us understand that there are people who are guilty and not condemned. Real Christians, guilty, not condemned, but are waking up at the 2 o'clock hour, the 3 o'clock hour in the morning, and eyes wide open, and we feel guilty before our God. We just feel guilty. We feel condemned. We feel like nothing has happened to us. And, and, and something's just not right. I'm going to tell you this. If that's your story, this text is going to be a difference maker. Christian, guilty, yes. Not condemned. So how do we deal with the feelings of condemnation when otherwise we say, I'm not supposed to be condemned? So again, take your Bibles if you have them. This series, a portion of chapter 8, is what I'm referring to as rest in God's security. This will also be a text that's very beneficial for you that are taking place in this service and saying, I'm not sure that I, uh, that I am not condemned. I want to make sure I'm not condemned. I think this will tell you everything you need to know. Last three weeks, we began with this Romans 8, starting in verse 31. The first half of that first verse, it introduces everything by saying, when, what then shall we say to these things? That these things mean everything in Romans, everything particularly in Romans chapter 8. And now he is going to list before us five great questions. These questions are going to be the proof that the Apostle Paul is going to use to just drill into us that we are not condemned. We're not. To drill into us that God loves us in ways we cannot even imagine. And so here are the five questions. The first week, we looked at the, the issue, if God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 31 reads like this, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The next verse. Second week, how shall he not, God, with Christ his Son, give us all things? Now, the verse in full, in verse 32, says, he who did not spare his own son, ah, but delivered him up for us all, now how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Then we come to verse, uh, the next verse, 33. Week three last week, we looked at who will bring a charge against God's elect and the text literally reads the same, who will bring a charge against God elect? But then it adds, God is the one who justifies. We've went through all that. Now we come to week number four, the fourth question. It reads like this, who is the one who condemns? Who is it? And the text reads, who is the one who condemns? There's more. It says, Jesus Christ is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Now, our week number five, which will be next week, we'll conclude with that beautiful text, 35 through 39, who will separate us from the love of God? Is there anybody? 
Is there anything? None whatsoever. Greatest news we could imagine. Now, here's the text. You've got Paul already saying, okay, who's going to bring an accusation against God's elect? And so he's built his argument, justification. You've been justified. Therefore, you are fine with God. You don't have to worry about that. But there were some, based on the text, it would make us think probably the question has come up, but wait, 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 that's God the Father, but what about Jesus Christ? You know, he's the one that took the grief and the pain on the cross. He's the one that went through the separation from the Father, the literal hell that he experienced. Maybe, maybe Jesus is the one who would say, enough is enough. And then Paul says, no, 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 this is utter nonsense. And he does it, building his case using four words. The first word, died. Jesus died. Number two, who rose, who was raised from the dead. Number three, he talks about, oh, you talking about the one who is seated with the Father right now? And then he adds to that fourth, the one interceding for us. Let me tell you, it's just by understanding the depth of those four words, something happens right here. And you and I can, in the middle of that night, say, I feel the way I feel. But I know what I know. And that what we know eventually touches even how we feel. So let's... Let's look at the text. Now, this is courtroom language again, just like last week, if you were with us. Uh, literally, the, the words in the original language, who condemns? That's the question. Who condemns? And then if you read this the way it should be read, you're going to be saying, Jesus? Are you asking, is Jesus going to be the one that condemns? You, and then it, as if to say, are oh, you talking about the Jesus who died and who who was raised, the one, the one who is seated with the Father on his right hand? Are you talking about, uh, now, are you talking about the one that right now is interceding for you? You think that he's going to condemn you because you did what? That's the essence of what he's saying. John 3, John has made it very clear in the 17th verse and following that Jesus, no, he did not come to condemn. In fact, he came to die for people who are condemned so that they won't have to be. Now, let's look at the words. Number one, died. It says that he died. It means he was condemned. That's the whole idea. He died because he had kept the law perfectly. Now he has to, in spite of that, bear the penalty completely. Nothing's left undone. It's a done deal. It's basically what we talked about last week. You can't punish somebody twice for the same sin. That's not going to be appropriate. That's unjust. That's not the issue at all. Thus, Jesus is he who died. And so we say, wow, that's good. I'm not going to labor on that anymore. That's what we talked about last week under the idea of justification. So we'll move beyond that. I like to think here like the infomercial. I don't know, hopefully many of you have already listened to the podcast and uh, Jimmy Kim and it is making a point 
upon point upon point. And as he does, he uses the illustration. He says, like that infomercial, uh, where, you, where you say, but wait, there's more. And I listened to that, and I said, oh, wait. I just did my first draft of this message two days ago, and that's the illustration I'm using. You can't use that. So hear it again. Because it is like this text. It's like, oh, whoa, this is good. You would think this would be good enough. But no, 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 no. There is more. More than that? What, what? And then you get that, and then there's another layer and another layer. Secondly, it says raised. The text reads, yes, rather who was raised. Now, that can be a little confusing if you're familiar with other texts of Scripture. Uh, for instance, in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, it says this. Referring to Jesus, he said he was delivered up for our transgressions. And then it says this, raised for our justification. Oh, come on now. I thought you said that it was the death of Christ that brought our justification. It is. This text is not saying he, this is the cause of your justification, that he was raised. No, no, no. It, it's the idea of carrying the thought of this is the verification that you're not condemned. It's the verification that what he did in dying for your justification, for you, that it's real, that it's proven. It's not just a hope so. It's a, no, we know so. He rose from the grave. He did all of this so that you and I might not have to fear the greatest hostilities of the, of the world in which we know. What are our greatest enemies? I'll suggest to you there are these four. You tell me if these aren't the four you would be most fearful of. First of all would be the whole issue of your sin. If you're not afraid of your own nature where you say, I hate this nature, it's, it, it's fighting against me, it's, a, it's my enemy. The old nature is your and my enemy. We have means to battle it and to win, but let me tell you, it's our enemy. But it goes worse than that. It's Satan himself. Satan is real. People say, I don't believe in Satan. Oh, my. Wish I could just tell you stories of the demonic world that I've experienced. And you go, my. Are you kidding me? It's real. It's among us every day. If we're not wary of it, we should be. But greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. But still, it's a horrible enemy that we face, the demonic world, Satan himself. But it goes even beyond that to death. Death itself. So you tell me, what's it going to be like? None of us have died. What's it going to be like when we're aware that we are now dying in the next minute? What are you going to feel? What are you going to think? I'd suggest it's going to be a frightening moment. Unless, unless you know otherwise. But then there's that last of the four. That's hell itself. Can you even imagine? I read, I listened to a story of a man who supposedly died and experienced hell. Do I think he did? I don't know. 
not convinced myself, but what he described, what he experienced, so scared me to even think about having to face it. And that's man's thought of something probably much worse. Certainly much worse. And people say, I'm not scared of that stuff. Those things don't bother me. I don't buy it. I think every one of us deep down inside said, I don't even want to think about those things. I don't even want to deal with those things. They are real. Unless, unless you've been justified by his death, verified by his resurrection. But it gets a whole lot better from here. Now we're getting into something we don't talk about so much. Jesus is seated. Seated? What do you you mean? That's not even in the text. Who is at the right hand of God, it says. But let's look at Hebrews 1.3. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so we should understand that seated, uh, we talk about it in theology as session, but when he is seated, that is, he is at the right hand of the Father. Is there a chair? Is there a throne? No, no, no. Let's not think that way. Uh, this is conveying something far greater than that. It's related to his work as a high priest. Now, in the Old Testament, the high priest once a year would go into the, into the temple and would have to go into the Holy of Holies just once a year And if everything went well, then the people would be okay with God for that next year. The whole idea was this was very, very, very important. And so he'd go in with the blood, and over the mercy seat, he'd pour that blood. And this is a picture, it's a type of of what is to come in Christ. As Christ now has taken his own blood, he has died, he is raised, and it's as if he's saying to the Father, here is the payment for our people's sins. They're fine now. They're taken care of. It's good now for all. This idea of being seated carries the idea of finished. It's complete. Oh, I'm tired. I've been working all day. Oh, my goodness. I've been standing back. You know what? I just need to sit down for a while. That's to say the work is completed, and his work is completed. We are now forgiven. It's pronouncement of his present work on our behalf, his activity. What's he doing? What's he doing on that throne, so to speak? Oh, I'll tell you what he's doing. He's using his power. He's using his authority on our behalf, ongoing forever. What do you mean? You ever read Revelation 5? Bet you have. Most of you have. You read Revelation 5, and it's the story of the Father. He's on the throne. And there's a scroll, but there's a problem with this scroll. The scroll is sealed with many seals. John, as he observes, he realizes that there's, there's nobody worthy. Nobody is worthy of breaking the seals. And that so bothers John that John begins to weep over it. Well, what's his problem? What is the scroll? The scroll is God's decrees to the benefit of his people for all eternity. And it's as if if that scroll is not opened, if those seals are not broken, then then the people of God will never 
will never have the, the forgiveness, the joy, the power, the Holy Spirit. They'll not have the protection. There will never be the Romans 8.28, all things working together for good. All that is lost if that scroll is not open and enters the Lamb of God. The Lamb Jesus, and Jesus takes that scroll and he breaks open seal after seal. There are ugly, horrible things that happen to people on this earth, including Christians. It's not like all pain's gone, all suffering. No, no, no. But it's all being executed by God's decree to the benefit and blessing of his church. If there were no scroll open, there would be no Romans 8.28. But because the scroll is open, there is one worthy Worthy is the Lamb. He gets to do that. What's he doing when he's sitting on his throne? He's executing his decrees to your and my benefit. Do we always see those benefits? Do we always experience them on earth and feel them and understand them? No. But he's executing his decrees on our behalf. But you know, it's not just that he's executing decrees there on our behalf. Oh, it, you know, it goes even further because we're told that we are seated with him. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. And look at this, folks. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He seated us with him. Do you know who sits on the throne with him? Those that share his royalty. People say, you telling me that once you're a Christian, you're forgiven forever and ever, and, you're, and you cannot lose your salvation? Oh, you can't lose your salvation. Are you telling me that I'm, I, I'm, I'm not guilty now of anything? Well, let's think of it this way. Guilty, but not condemned. You're forgiven. Forgiven of everything? No, no, no. You don't even get it yet. No, not just forgiven. You are made into royalty. You are royalty now. And at that 2 o'clock hour in the morning, how many of us lay there and think, this is hard. I'm fearful. I'm a bit anxious right now. I don't know how this is going to play out. But I know this. I am royalty and the decrees of God have this perfectly taken care of. Man. Man. But there's even more. That word interceding. The verse ends saying, who also intercedes for us. Hebrews 7, 25 describes it. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, there, here we don't quite understand sometimes. This is figurative. Uh, Charles Hodge has a wonderful thing explaining. Uh, no, this is figurative. Don't, don't think that he's okay, Father, uh, he, so-and-so just, just sinned, forgive him for that. Oh, and she just sinned, forgive for that. Oh, forget, forgive, forget. No, 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 it's not that at all. Our sins have been forgiven once for all by the work of Calvary. No doubt about that. But he continues to secure for us the benefits of his death, the blessing, the forgiveness, 
the power of the Holy Spirit. That's his job. He is working to do just that on our behalf. It would sound too good to be true. Let me conclude with this. I want to just address two questions that I, I think many of us might be asking as it relates to what we've just said. How do we know that we are His and that we can have peace and assurance that we're not condemned? How, how does that happen? Well, Romans chapter 5 has already made it clear that having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You understand? It's faith. Is faith a feeling? No. Is faith sometimes accompanied by feeling? Yeah. But what if it's not? Faith is trusting. Faith is trusting Him for who He is and what He's done. So you're laying, laying in that bed at two in the morning. What do I, what do I need? I need faith. Where do you put your faith? You put it in the God who loves us and the promises he's made to us. That's how it happens. You see, it's, it's trusting that you are on, and I'll use the analogy from last week again, you're on that merit ladder of Jesus. Not our ladder of merit where we're getting higher and higher, better and better, doing more and more, and God, you'll accept me now, will you accept me now, will you accept me now? No, no, no. It's, no, I'm on His merit ladder. That's called passive righteousness. It's saying that I didn't do, you gave me your righteousness. I was passive in that righteousness. It's what you have done for me, and it's solely what you've done for me. And I'm good, and in fact, I'm as righteous as any other person it doesn't matter how I compare to them. I'm as righteous even as your son, Jesus. But how do I know I'm on that ladder? Here's how you know to use the analogy. You see that ladder? Some of us are fairly low on that ladder. Some of us are higher on that ladder. It's a faith climb. It's like muscles and some have a hard time pulling up that faith. And others have built big muscles and they can climb up pretty, pretty well and they've advanced even further. That's called active righteousness. Oh, well, let me ask you, then if you're way up here on that ladder, are you in better stead with God than if you... No, 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 no. Same merit ladder. You're on the ladder. But the way you know you're on that ladder is you're not content, even though you're not gaining anything of merit for what you do in terms of righteousness. But there is an active righteousness that I am pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. Active righteousness. That's how you know you have passive righteousness. Show me somebody who says, I have passive righteousness and I can live the way I want to live. I do what I want to do. I don't care what God says. I go, no, 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 no. You'll always have both together. It's the teaching of James. The final question is this. What does it look like to climb that ladder? Give me some specifics. Let me understand better how to do that. Well, 
any of you that know me personally, I am a, a fanatic about simple. I always say you got to keep it simple. Everybody gets everything's so complex and nobody figured out what to do and how to do it. Simple. It's simple because Jesus made it simple. They came to him and said, all right, teacher, you tell us what all we got to do. What's, all, what's the great commandment? Give me the greatest commandments. He said, there's just one. The greatest commandment is love. Love? Yeah, you just love. Well, like, just love? Yep, just love. Well, who? Love your God and love your neighbor. That's it. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. It, it, it simply means give God what he needs. He needs glory because he's worthy of it. Let your life glorify him. That's what it means. Well, just that's it? Yeah. Love him. Love your neighbor. Don't necessarily give them what they want. That may be the worst thing for them, but give them what they need as best you can. If you can't, you can't. That's okay. But just live a life where you're saying, where do I love? God, how can I love you now? What would honor you the most right now? Uh, how would I help people right now? How can I best do that? So I wrote down just a list of, of individual things. This is what it means to me, for me right now. I said, number one, worship God living life to his glory. I put number two, be willing and ready to share the gospel to those living on their own merit ladder who are so convinced if I keep climbing and bless their hearts, they have such need. They don't know it, but oh, they're just climbing and say, I want to say, hey, let me help you. you there, there's another ladder over here. Can I just point you to it? Can I just, do you, are you okay if I tell you about it? If they're not, that's, that's not my business. But I'm at least say, I want to at least try to help you see there's something you're missing that you are in poverty and you need the riches of God. I want to give you those riches. It's being generous. Number three for me is being generous to those in need. If I have the capability and I, I sense this, I ought, to, I ought to be generous as best I can. And then particularly at this time, in light of our current events, for me it means being kind and gracious to those who see current events differently. I spoke to that last week for a few minutes. It's being proactive to help those who are treated unjustly. Well, how do you do that? I don't know. But if I see something I can do that I should, that's the right thing, that's unjust, I'd like to help in any way I can to to rectify the injustice, I don't know what that means. But I know that's love, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just seek to be open and available to the leading of my God. And then I put, to build relationships with those that are different than me. I think you remember, if you were here a few years ago, we did a, a series, and I just kept pushing, guys, let's, let's build relationships with people differently. I've done so. I hope many of you are. That's where you can love best because you understand and you can love. So, how hard is life for you right now? Pretty hard, isn't it? Some of you really hard. I suggest to you, the harder it is, the more you remind yourself that this stuff we're going through, it's temporary. 
And even while it's here, God's decrees are being handled beautifully by the Lamb who is worthy to do so. When you're in that bed at night, you think about the Lamb and what He's doing. And though guilty and not condemned, you're royalty. Lay there and think about that. And think about it again and again and again. In fact, I close with uh, the one that many of us remember come here and speak to us time and time again, Steve Brown. He'd end his last words the way I'd like to leave with you. You think about that. And think about it again and again and again and again. The more you hurt, the more you think about it. I'm not going to pray. Instead, I'm going to just introduce the song that we're going to sing prayerfully. And can it be one of the great hymns of all time? We're going to sing the first two verses. And then we're going to sing one more verse, but between that second and third. I've asked them to put the lyrics on the screens. And to put a text that I put under each of the lyrics as it breaks down that, that one verse. And I hope that this will be a prayerful, moving experience as you think about the wonderful truth that God has for us. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the
Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.